You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 568 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Monday evening. Not too, too much going on in Hawksland, but still some stuff to talk about on the pod today. First of all, if you missed it, over the weekend we had Michael Pina on the podcast back on Friday. So if you missed, you missed that podcast, go back and listen to it. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, please subscribe to the show, as always. But uh, first things first, today a bit of, uh, I guess it's news technically, that I want to touch on before we get into some mailback stuff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So first thing on the docket is uh, that the Sports Business Daily released its numbers, uh, annual numbers for the TV ratings across the NBA. The Hawks uh, actually, if you, want, if you want to be positive, had a 14% increase in the TV ratings from last season to this season. No huge surprise there, given how much more entertaining the basketball was this year with Trey Young in the mix and John Collins for most of the season and um, just kind of a better, more entertaining product overall. But uh, on the downside, the Hawks are still a bottom five team. They're actually fourth lowest in average local television ratings, better than only the Clippers, the Nets, and the Magic on that particular scale. Um, just sort of a reminder there of the uh, of the market challenges that the Hawks have. You know, it's a huge market in Atlanta, so that's not necessarily a situation where they have the least amount of people watching, but percentage-wise, um, ratings-wise, it's not been the greatest thing in the world recently for the Hawks. And um, I guess to be fair, it was a massive drop um, between two seasons ago when they made the playoffs with Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap, and that crew to last year, and then a nice bounce back this year. So shouts to the people over at Fox Sports Southeast, Bob Rathbun and company. Those guys do a great job. So it's just one of those things where the fan base is going to have to slowly grow, and that's just one thing to uh, point out there. And um, also with that in mind, the attendance number numbers. This sort of inspired me to check these out as well. I have been updating those in my mind throughout the season, but I had not looked Um, recently. The Hawks actually finished the season number 27 in the NBA in attendance at about 15,300 per game. These are the ESPN NBA attendance numbers. And they finished 28th in the NBA in percentage of capacity, basically uh, averaging about 82% full in uh, in the newly renovated State Farm Arena. The previous year, though, the Hawks were dead last by a lot in both percentage and um, people per, per game, about 77% capacity and 14,400 per game. So they drew about 1,000 per uh, game more fans. That's a pretty a significant increase, despite the fact that the Hawks are still in the bottom five of the league. So for me, it's kind of a reminder of the relatively small sample size of the fan base when compared to the population of Atlanta. It's a huge market. I think there's a lot of uh, growth potential for the fan base in Atlanta. I think it's a situation where if they uh, get excited, and then we saw a little bit of that this year with Trey Young, um, just kind of having that kind of star potential in the mix definitely really helps to the casual fan getting uh, on board. And it's kind of encouraging to see that bounce back a little bit. But just something to keep in mind that I wanted to at least pass along, considering we're sort of in a dearth of news at this moment. Um, to the positivity uh, that I'm going to try to, to reflect a little bit on this podcast, I actually wrote a piece on Sunday over at PeacetreeHoops.com that generated some reaction. So I wanted to talk about that just, just for a second to expand on what I actually wrote. The premise, if you missed it, and I would definitely encourage you to go and read it because it's, it's uh, sometimes better than uh, listening to me talk about it. The premise is that 
I don't get into pure fan stuff very often because as listeners and readers to the show would know, um, I'm in the media now and I try to be as objective as possible, but I still grew up a Hawks fan. I had season tickets, I had emotions, I was a fan before, I was a writer, and obviously just had the live and die stuff that fans have with the team. So I declared that, um, basically the theme of the, of, the, of the piece was that I declared that I think this is probably the most excited I've ever been about the future, I say this again, about the future um, about the Hawks. At least since that, since I was kind of uh, knowledgeable about what was going on, I was not around for the Dominique era. Um, I guess I was born for the Dominique era, but not really uh, cognizant of what was going on there. So basically, from the mid '90s to this point is what I've uh, known what's going on in full. And my point was that uh, the future at, at this particular moment is probably as high as it's ever been in terms of uh, the brightness and the optimism going on with, with the uh, team itself. Uh, a lot of people pointed to the 61 season, and I made sure that I definitely acknowledged that um, the point was for the excitement of the, of the future. Obviously, that team and in the moment, that January was uh, sort of the peak of my Hawks time, um, covering them definitely. But in terms of just watching and being a fan, they didn't lose the game for a month. They won 60 games. It's the best team that I've uh, seen since, I was been, since I've been a Hawks fan. That team, though, was not one that was expected to do that, nor was it expected to happen again in the future. You know, they won 48 games the following season. They were still a pretty good basketball team, but at the same time, you know, that was uh, sort of a lightning of the ball situation and uh, looking forward to the future. And again, this is a future-facing exercise. I would not say that that was that was the number one group for me. I don't go back to the Neek days, but I do remember the teams in the 90s that were good with Matumbo and Mookie and Smitty, and there was not really a lot of title upside there. I did enjoy the doldrums of the early 2000s, the Terry Stotts, Long Kruger era, uh, the rebuild stuff, because I kind of enjoy rebuilds in general, but uh, it just didn't happen during that time, obviously. I think uh, 2005, um, the summer of 2005 was a huge one when the Hawks had the number two pick overall, and they had max cap space. They ended up signing Joe Johnson, which, which actually ended up proving it to be a pretty good investment. But the Marvin Williams pick was not a great one, obviously, um, when, when, when compared to Chris Paul and Aaron Williams, etc. 2007, there were a few moments before that season started. Of course, they ended up landing Al Horford, which worked out very, very well, um, but not, not quite the same as if, you, if they had gotten Kevin Durant in that same lottery and they were uh, going, to, going to, to the commercial break in 2007. Uh, the draft ladder, they were in the top three, and that could have resulted in Greg Oden, which would have been awful, or it could have been Kevin Durant, which would have been incredible. And then it was uh, they split the difference with, with Al Horford, who was a perennial all-star. So it didn't it didn't go poorly, but in terms of just upside and future stuff, uh, that sort of took the wind out a little bit on that one. So obviously things were really good for about a 10-year period for basically the entirety of the Al Horford tenure with Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, Paul Millsap, etc. But, you know, Looking ahead to the future only, I think this is at least, and this is the argument that I'm that I'm making. This is the uh, the highest ceiling that they've had in quite some time. Of course, that doesn't mean that it's always going to work out. You know, that it could be a situation where the pieces never fall together, and they could never win 60 games. They could never win the title. That's definitely all in play. But just from the from the future standpoint, they have this great young core. They have Trey Young, who's a uh, looking like a star player in every way. You look at John Collins, who is already sort of playing at a star level after a 2010 season. You have Kevin Herter. You have all this cap space and flexibility. You have some young talent. You have two lottery picks in this draft. There's a lot to like about the Hawks right now, and that was sort of the premise. So if you missed that, go ahead and check it out. But I wanted to at least shed some light on, on my thinking there, and um, I stand by it. I can see I can see other arguments for uh, other things, and again, there's always risk involved with rebuilds and young players and not knowing what's going to happen in the future. But 
given the way the decks the decks are stacked right now with the young talent and the flexibility in the cap space and the draft picks, it's a really, really nice time to be a Hawks fan. So I want to at least put that out there, talk about it a little bit on the podcast. Um, before we get to some more stuff on the pod, I do want to take a moment to talk to you about the good folks at Zip Recruiter because hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sent your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there with their power. Powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one of them and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day that the listing is available. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, we're back to talk about some other stuff on the pod and a couple of mailbag questions that I wanted to address. I have some guests lined up for the future, but this is a sort of an opening that I had. So I want to talk about some mailbag, some mailbag stuff. So here we are. First question comes from Junior, uh, who asks, am I crazy or could the Hawks win the Southeast Division next year? Uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, this is not a crazy thing at all. I will say first and foremost that divisions are pretty stupid in the NBA. It's not the question that was asked, but I wanted to at least put that out there, my opinion on this. It's kind of crazy to me that they even still have divisions. They really don't mean too much. They no, they no longer really matter in terms of seeding and all that stuff. Uh, they hang banners for division titles uh, in some places, including Atlanta. But, you know, big picture wise, divisions don't really matter all that much. But because it's an easy way to lump teams together and you're, because you're, you know, you know, your quote unquote rivals are in the division. Um, that doesn't really apply to the Hawks because I think the Celtics are still the biggest rival for the Hawks. And they're not in the division, but you know, that's just sort of the way things are. And I'll, I'll answer the question, Junior. So my apologies for that non sequitur. Um, the teams in the division, if you don't, if you aren't unfamiliar with this, are, are uh, Orlando, Charlotte, Miami, and Washington. Uh, this year, 42 wins. 42 wins won the Southeast Division this year for the for the Orlando Magic, and they needed to have a pretty strong finish to get to, to, get to 42 wins. Now, they actually had a really nice year, and it's probably pretty encouraging for the Magic and their fans. But 42 wins should not win a division, um, it, but it did. Um, and 39 wins each for Charlotte and Miami, 32 for Washington, and then 29 for Atlanta. Uh, definitely sort of an outlier in how bad the division was this year. But if you look ahead to the future, um, for next year at least, it's not crazy at all that the Hawks could be in the mix, frankly, because of the uh, projections for the other teams. Orlando doesn't have a ton of flexibility this summer if they bring back Vucevic, and he was their best player this year. So if they don't, if they don't, if they don't do that, they're, they're probably going to drop off some. Charlotte has a Kemba Walker decision to make, and even if they bring him back at a big number, they have eighty-five million dollars guaranteed to Nick Batum, Bismack Biombo, Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams, and a player option from Michael K. Gilchrist. So not a, not a ton of flexibility there either, even with a couple of uh, decent young players, Miles Bridges and Malik Monk. Uh, Washington, same sort of situation. They owe $20 million to the combined duo of Dwight Howard and Jan Mahimi. That isn't going to go well. And then you have John Wall for $38 million next year, despite the injury stuff. They do have Bradley Beal, which really helps, but not a team that's going to blow you away necessarily. And then Miami... Uh, they owe a ton of money to guys like James Johnson, Kelly Olynyk, Deion Waiters, Hassan Whiteside for next year, and uh, another team without a ton of flexibility to improve. So I would probably bet on 42 wins um, not winning it next year if I had to put a gun to my head just because that's such a low number in the grand scheme. But if you look at the teams that are in the mix here, none of the four teams ahead of the Hawks are particularly scary for next year. So knowing what, knowing only what we know now, obviously pre-free agency, pre-trades, pre-draft, 
the Hawks have a chance. I think it wouldn't be smart to flat out pick them right now, given that the uncertainty that exists even without you know not knowing the lottery and all that stuff. Still, I think if they keep the measured, slow build approach to the rebuild that the Hawks have been talking about and the, that I would recommend, frankly, I wouldn't be picking them. With that said, it wouldn't be crazy at all if, they're, if they were to win it because of the talent they have on the roster. If you project some uh, normal growth from guys like Trey and John and Kevin and uh, Amari Spellman, for instance, and Tori, Tori and Prince, if he's still on the roster, Alex Lennon and I share this year, and you throw in two lottery picks, they could win 40 games. It wouldn't be a huge surprise, even without um, a, big ticket, a big ticket ad in free agency. Um, so even, even if they were to lose Dwayne Dedman, if they uh, didn't replace him, they'd still have a pretty solid roster in some ways. And if you add in just some supporting pieces, or if they were to, uh, you know, add in even one like starting caliber free agent, even if it's just bringing back Debbin, it could really happen. So again, I wouldn't pick the Hawks right now, but it's definitely not a crazy notion given uh, the, the teams in the division. If you wanted to change the question to top four seed in the East, that's, that's crazier just because there are a lot of teams that are still going to be very good next year. You know, Philly, probably obviously Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto. Um, those teams are all much better set up than the Hawks for just next year only. Um, but beyond that, there aren't that many teams. You know, Brooklyn's got some talent and they have some cap space, you know, Indiana as well. It would not blow anybody away, in my opinion, if the Hawks were to challenge for the seven or eight seed next year. Again, I wouldn't predict that at this particular moment, but um, ask me again and then we'll probably talk about it again in mid-July and uh, we'll know much more about the roster at that point in time. Okay, uh, I guess this is going to be probably the last question we tackle. Maybe, maybe there'll be two more. Um, we'll see how this goes. But um, this question comes from Peter, who says, I heard you say that John Morant is someone the Hawks probably can't draft. Does that also apply to Darius Garland and Kobe White? Um, I would say, in general, the answer to that is yes. I, I don't think the Hawks should be drafting either one of those guys in the top 10. And uh, that's not because they don't, they don't like them. That's just the position and kind of the way things break down with the roster. Just for a reminder, Morant is my number two prospect overall. I think at some point it might make sense to take him if trading wasn't allowed, but it is allowed. Um, uh, and I think uh, Morant's value is significantly higher to other teams that uh, that are not the Hawks because of the fact that Atlanta already has their point guard of the future and the present in Trey Young. It's not a slight at all of Morant, who I really like. It's just the fit doesn't really work there for him and Young. I think Garland and White are kind of similar in that way. They're not quite as good as terms of prospect status as Morant for me, but they're both, for me at least, primary point guards, especially that is the case for Garland. I think White can play more of a combo role in the NBA. If you ask him to, he's a little bit taller. I think he's like a legit 6'4". I think Garland absolutely needs the ball in his hands and needs to be a primary point guard. White, I do think, is a point guard for me, but could be more of a combo, maybe play some two along the way. I can see it more with White as a result of that because I think he's going to go probably lower than Garland and because he can sort of play some two. But I don't think that um, playing White and Young together a lot would be great defensively, especially, and he kind of needs the ball as well. So I think I, you know investing a top 9, 10, 11 pick in someone who I think is going to be probably going to be a bench guy for you because of Young's presence is not the greatest uh, idea in the world. I would say of these three guys, um, Morant, White, and Garland, White is easily the best fit for the Hawks because he's more of a combo, more of a combo guard. But I think he'll probably be gone by the time the Dallas pick were to come. If it's in that 9, 10, 11 range, White's a pretty high rising guy in this class. And if he's not, I think the Hawks are probably better suited trading down to a team that wants him as a point guard than actually standing, standing pat and taking him. It wouldn't be crazy to take Kobe White in the 10, 11 range, but I think just fit wise and projection wise with Young already on the roster, it wouldn't be the greatest use of assets in the world. So it's kind of a tough draft for me because of my top you know, 10 or 11 guys, three of them are point guards. And with the way the Hawks are right now, I think Morant and Garland are pretty much firm no's for where they're going to go. White is a probable no for me. 
and that kind of limits your options a little bit. You have you have some bigs that you could probably take, and then a, of course a ton of wings and forwards. But a lot of talk about that in the future, obviously, and it's something that's just how the uh, how the uh, sort of the draft board breaks. So we'll talk more about that in the future. But in general, I would say avoiding Garland and White and uh, and Morant is probably the best course of action for the Hawks, barring some um, really weird situations on the draft board uh, when June arrives. So. Um, that'll probably do it for questions. I do want to at least remind you guys that, or I guess tell you guys, for the first time on the podcast, that the the, the Hawks will be opening their pre-draft workouts for the first time on Tuesday. Last year, they were really more transparent. So, shout out to Travis Schlenk and the front office for allowing some more access last year to these guys. But the first one is going to be on Tuesday morning. Um, not exactly a star-studded group, but the group includes Jordan Carolina of Nevada, who I actually kind of like. He's too old for uh, a ton of upside necessarily, but he's because he's already 23 years old. But he's sort of an interesting two way guy could be a second round option for the Hawks maybe even like a two-way contract kind of guy for Atlanta he's joined by Kyle Ullman of Cal State Fullerton Dante Hall of Alabama Markel Johnson of NC State Chris Silva of South Carolina and Sean Thurman of Nevada at um, the Hawks facility on Tuesday morning. So no, no big names yet, but in the future, um, you know, for instance, all three guys last year that the Hawks drafted were all in for workouts last year. Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and Mari Spellman, they were all in the mix. Um, I think pretty much everyone except for Luka Doncic came to Atlanta, if I'm remembering correctly, last year at some point in time. He didn't really do workouts for anybody, so... Uh, most of these guys are going to be in the mix, and we'll uh, hopefully be able to, to talk to some of them and share some audio, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Tuesday, not a huge one, but that kicks off the process, and we'll have plenty more on these draft guys. Oh, just for a plug sake, the uh, Peaster Hoops crew, which I uh, I tend to lead over there at PeacherHoops.com, is doing a massive uh, player profile series, about 75 to 80 players. going to be br- broken down in individual form on that site. So if we check that out, we're about five or six already deep. And by the time you listen to this, it could be seven, eight, nine deep. And uh, that's already scheduled out all the way through the middle of June. So tons of content there as well as well as on this podcast. I have, I have guests lined up, returning guests, new guests, um, you know, draft experts, all that fun stuff. So we'll have plenty more. Please subscribe to the podcast. It would be huge if you did that on Himalaya or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Overcast. Player.fm, all those places that you like to listen to podcasts. Pick your favorite one and join us there. And we'll be back again later in the week with more on the Atlanta Hawks.